So then. If you awaken from this illusion, persistence of vision, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Persistence of Vision podcast, inspiring conversations. Hello, folks. I am Lance Fever Myers. And I'm L.B. Dio. We have a very special guest today. Her name is Olive Bala. She is a writer living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And her latest book, Jilly, just came out in May of this year on Wild Rose Press. L.B., what do you have to say about that? I say it's fantastic. It's a great book. I enjoyed it immensely. And I'm very, very excited to have her here. It's terrifying. It's actually a very terrifying book. Yes, it's terrifying, too. And then it gave me <laughs> nightmares. And they were, they were wonderful, enjoyable nightmares. We have Olive here. So, Olive, what do you have to say for yourself? I say, well, hey, if you have bad nightmares, I'm really, really sorry. And yet part of me says, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jilly just came out in May. Um, yes. And uh, it came out on Wild Rose Press. Can you tell us, I guess first tell our listeners about this particular book. Okay, Jilly is an 11-year-old who has to run away from a vicious family um, because there is a rumor that her father found treasure there. I don't know if you know anything at all about New Mexico history. I'm going to give you a quick bite. Please um, do. There are rumored all kinds of lost treasures in the mountains and in the area, some even uh, Confederate gold, etc. Um, so it's actually based on that. Um, so anyway, her father supposedly found this because he would periodically go away, come back and uh, with money. Um, so she had family members that, of course, decided that she must know where that is, and then they set about to try to get that information from her. So that's pretty much the gist of it. Fantastic. So, it, it, and it's very dark. It's, I wouldn't say it's a horror genre novel. But uh -huh. I would call it a thriller, probably. Is that how would you how you describe the book? Is it kind of a thriller? Right. I think a, a suspense thriller is how a, the, is the genre it was published under. Gotcha. Um, and and let me say, dark is probably subjective, <laughs> because <laughs> when when I was writing it, I didn't have a sense that I was writing something all that dark. Um, so if it's, of course, part of that has to do with what you're familiar with. And I was raised in a kind of a dark environment, I'll put it that way. I don't believe in taking shots at people's parents when they're gone. But I will say this, when I was four years old, my dad read Edgar Allan Poe's Pit in the Pendulum. Uh, he read um, The Monkey's Paw. <laughs> and uh, murders in Rue Morgue. So I have a background in dark. So perhaps, uh, you know, to, to me, my happy schlappy is your dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was dark to me. It's, uh, it's this, <laughs> the book deals with, uh, what, kidnapping, uh, yes. attempted murder of a child, yes. serial yes. killers. Yes. So in those senses, uh, yes, I guess you'd say it's subjective. <laughs> yeah, greed. Greed is part of that. Yes, greed. you're right. So, yeah, okay, maybe it is dark. Well, <laughs> so you mentioned, maybe. you know, Edgar Allan Poe, I guess, being an influence. What, what other influences would you cite for this particular book? Well, for this book, uh, I have to say, um, my characters are basically amalgamations of people I've either known or raised around or uh, at some point uh, family members that, that I've that I was raised with. So I'd say that 
As far as other authors, I got really hooked on Louis L'Amour. I've read, and I've read everything from Isaac Asimov that I could get my hands on. So I'm not sure that my reading uh, material is, is going to give us much information as, with regard to this particular book. Hmm. It certainly has impacted and informed my style uh, of, of writing. Um, I liked um, Agatha Christie, and I guess probably what compelled me to start writing was I read some things online uh, that people had self-published and decided that, hey, I can do that. Uh, and luckily, I was able to find a publisher out of New York that, uh, to take a chance on me with my first book. So, um, yeah. That's, That's fantastic. That. I, you know, I, I want to get into that. I want to get into, well, first of all, uh, while we're still on the, the, the topic of this being very dark and, and your background, um, tell us a little bit about, I mean, you said a lot of these characters are based on real people and that your life growing up in, in uh, New Mexico has had a, uh, a hand in, in coloring this. Tell us about, sure. about that. Because, I, I mean, I've known you for... A very very long time. You were yeah. you, you were you were the mother of my my very best friend uh, in kindergarten, <laughs> and yep. uh, that was all back in the Texas Panhandle. So you've lived your life in the Texas Panhandle and New Mexico, and that that uh, I I feel has colored how you write. Um, t can, sure. Can you talk to us a little bit about about that? Uh, sure. Um, in fact, uh, being raised around cattle people uh, in the mountains of New Mexico. Um, Visiting there in the summers, my grandparents had a cattle ranch, and every um, fall or, or spring, which, whichever their timetable warranted, they would castrate ca male calves. Um, the girls were not allowed to watch that, but of course, I, but I, this is you know, probably puritanical, but they didn't want the females to be exposed to that. However, I snuck out and, and <laughs> exposed myself to it. <laughs> And uh, so probably that had some, we butchered our own calf every heifer, every uh, fall. So we would have meat for the winter. Um, so probably that kind of reality, most people are under the age of, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 nowadays wouldn't be familiar with it. Uh, or wouldn't have had been exposed to it, I'll put it that way. So yeah, that definitely impacted it. The fact that I was born in Roswell, notwithstanding. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, you, you uh, witnessed the castration of calves, is that correct? That is correct. But you did not participate in this castration? I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> you weren't allowed to. You would, have, you would have castrated if you could have. Uh, it sounds worse than it actually is, but yeah. Oh, it sounds pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It yeah, sounds worse it, than anything you're likely to have seen at Roswell, even if the worst rumors are most, true. Most likely, yes. Yep. Well, so, uh, okay, now you said that you found a, a publisher to take a chance on you. Tell us about that experience because, okay. um, you know, a lot of Good. our readers, I've, I'm assuming, tune in because, I mean, obviously this is, uh, you know, mo our, our talks are about books and we're, uh, you know, publishers. And uh, I think most people are really interested in that aspect of it. I'm definitely interested in that process and how you went about finding a publisher for your book. Um, okay. Uh, yes, I'd be very happy to speak to that. Um, first, it took me quite some time to decide that I needed to go for a small publishing house. At the time, the Wild Rose Press of, of the publication of my first uh, novel was considered a small publishing house. They're, they're housed in New York, but uh, 
but they, they've grown like exponentially since my first book was published. And uh, I decided after sending probably, I don't know how many dozens of query letters to other publishers, and I was looking primarily at the big five, and I think maybe there are big six now, um, I couldn't even get anyone to read it. Um, I got enough rejection slips to paper a small bathroom. <laughs> um, I did, however, decide uh, after I read uh, some uh, writer's blog, I believe, that, uh, that okay, if you don't get any satisfaction from the big guys, try one of the smaller ones. So I went online and I Googled uh, small presses and I came up with four. I sent queries to all four. Within a week, I had offers of contracts from all four. Wow. I selected the Wild Rose Press based on their track record and on uh, comments that I found online from other writers mm -hmm. that, have, um, that have used them as well. And I have to tell you, they've been uh, wonderful to me. They've taken, like I said, they took a chance with my first novel and they just been marvelous uh, help with my second. So, so, and, and, and that was that was with an arm and a leg, which I also read and also found to be quite dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That one, that one was book. my my own sister basically. And by the way, my sister was raised in the same environment I was. In fact, maybe a little bit worse. She's eight years older than I, a little bit darker. But she, um, she said, well, you know, some of those scenes and. Um, Frankie and the cistern, et cetera, et cetera. She said, that's pretty dark. So I guess it is. <laughs> yep. Well, just, so just to, to clue our, our readers in, there's no spoilers here. But uh, so, so this, this particular podcast, of course, is about Jilly because it just came out. But when I read An Arm and a Leg, I mean, it was, I, I was glued to it. Uh, it's about uh, uh, so someone who, well, can I say what they collect? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> they collect arms and legs. They collect, they collect body parts. Right? Yeah. Like, just like, yes. like prize pieces. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I found it, I mean, I, it's, I think it's always kind of risky to, to, to tell an author what, uh, you know, uh, about other authors that they remind you of. But I did feel a Stephen King kind of a, a feeling huh. in that one. Um, well, it being suspenseful and dark. And, and also, there was a supernatural element to that one. Yes, there was, and uh, and that's interesting. You're not the first person who has made the the uh, parallel to C Stephen King. I hey, I'll take it. You bet. <laughs> sure. Who doesn't like a Stephen King novel? You bet. Well, this this yeah the the uh, another author that it reminded me of was Dickens. Honestly, the I haven't read the Arm and a Leg, but the Jilly, uh, a lot of the characterizations of the author of the characters. Um, their physicality, their their relationship between their physical characteristics and their personalities or their moral characters was uh, it reminded me a lot of of Dickens. Okay, super. <laughs> I'll take that too. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, so this is book number two with Wild Rose Press, and and you say I mean you you were singing their praises. Can you tell us what? the experience of putting a book out with Wild Rose Press has been like, as far as like, okay, so you write the book and then you submit the manuscript. Uh, how early do you do you no. submit the manuscript? I mean, especially, I guess it would probably be different based on it being either your first or your second book. Can you tell us about that? 
Well, the process is pretty much the same regardless of the number of books, oh, okay. but I will tell you, okay. first off, you don't submit the manuscript until they've asked for it. Right. Uh, what one does is, after one's completed your manuscript, then you will generate a synopsis. And it can be, uh, depending on what their submission guidelines are, uh, whichever publisher you're looking at, um, uh, submitting to, there are submission guidelines, and they will be very detailed uh, as to what's expected. And um, with Wild Rose Press, it was to submit a, a synopsis, uh, a basically a blurb telling, uh, as well, telling what the book is about. And they will pass it off. Uh, it's, it's all done on the internet via email. They pass the synopsis to someone who looks it over and says, okay, Let's ask for the manuscript. So then they'll email back and say, please send us the first 50 pages or send us the rest of the manuscript, mm -hmm. which in this case, they've, they've asked me both times for the completed manuscript. Uh, then they look at it within a few days. They will either send, within a matter of fact, a couple of days, they'll either send um, a contract or, or, or they'll let you know, sorry, we're we're not uh, publishing that genre at this time, or we don't gotcha. need any more of that, or whatever. Sure. But but uh, probably I think within, if I'm not, uh, if my memory serves me, within probably about uh, five days of their receiving my manuscript and, and passing it off to one of their editors, they have a senior editor that looks it over. Then I was um, sent a, a contract. Gotcha. And then so once once you get the contract in hand, how much of uh, how how much of a role does the editor play that they gave you? Did did they request changes or did they suggest any kind of changes or what was that like? Yeah, that's uh, that's in fact the senior editor. I've worked with the same editor for both books, and she's just absolutely amazing. Um, what they do is they'll look it over for grammatical errors. They also then check over for content if there's something that doesn't make sense. But let me give you a heads up to begin with. I've had, I've known other authors who have tried, who have submitted stuff uh, to Wild Rose and have not been accepted. And it has in part to do with not the grammatical errors, but with the content. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure, number one, that your story is tight. Number two, that you have edited the crap out of it <laughs> until there are no grammatical errors and until your syntax is as perfect as you can make it and that you actually have a story and a plot to tell. Uh, so those are pretty critical ingredients. Gotcha. And did so? Did the editor have any? So I guess I guess once it made it to the editor process, was it mostly the nuts and bolts of just sort of uh, you know fixing those little grammatical things, or were there actually structural changes to be made? Okay, that's a good question. And what happened with Jilly? The same thing happened with uh, Arm and a Leg, is that there were some. I, I'm a comma junkie. Um, <laughs> I obviously just. I just way overuse commas. So most of my grammatical errors had to do with comma usage. However, there was in Jilly at one point where the editor sent me a note and said, I'm just wondering about so-and-so. And, -so. and she, she quoted a page line uh, and said, is that what I think it means? In other words, for clarification, just to make sure that I'm on point with the story. And that was very good uh, feedback. I will say this. I submitted, as I always do, my stuff to at least two beta readers. I don't know if you know what a beta reader is. Mm, it's no, someone who reads your stuff and gives you feedback. Okay. 
before and I also submitted it to my sister who is a um, an English got a um, got a master's in English literature and I submitted it to her she looked it over and gave me feedback as well so you don't want to just be in your own head when you read your book. Sure, yeah. You want to read it back to yourself, but you don't want to stay in your own head. You need somebody else to look it over. Gotcha. Okay, so so you get the editing, and then what? So now, so once the editor approves it, is yep. that sort of the gate? Like, okay, now we can pull the trigger on this and and get it out into the world. Not quite, but okay. but close. It's a process. They will sub they will submit. The editor submits her suggestions for changes. For instance, there is a, uh, um, a an editing basically program on Windows where you can go in and you can look at stuff and you can make your notations to the side of the manuscript. Uh, manuscript. And so the editor did those little notations. I went back, I made the changes based on what they said or not if I, if I felt like it was an important part of the story. But none of that has happened with me. But I had that uh, opportunity if I felt it was important enough to keep. Um, then I go back, then there are two, um, it's a series, uh, the process includes two galleys, what's called galley submissions. The galley comes to me the, the, for to the final review, after two reviews before, before this, for the final review it comes to me and they say, is this absolutely sure, you're absolutely sure this is exactly the way <laughs> you want it, all of the errors have been corrected, blah, blah, blah. And if so, sign off on it, and which I did. And then once I've signed off on it, as you say, they pulled the trigger and said, okay, you have a publication date of so-and-so. It'll be acceptable. Uh, it'll be available, rather, on the World Wide Web. It'll be available in paperback, um, e-book, et cetera, et cetera, on this day. Nice, nice. And, and how, long, how long a process was that from the time that you submitted your manuscript to the time they approved uh, and and said we're we're going to press. Nine months, oh, long okay. enough to have a baby. <laughs> Fantastic. It's like having a baby, isn't it? It, it is quite a bit, <laughs> <laughs> but just without as much pain. Yes. <laughs> so um, so then at at that point, um, when it's released, is there uh you know a, a marketing strategy? Did they let you in on on how how they plan on marketing? Did you have um, any sort of uh, official, um, well, obviously they gave you a release date, but did, uh, did you do any sort of um, marketing yourself? Or how much, of, how much of the marketing aspect of it did they take on and how much did you do? Zero on <laughs> their part, all of it on my part. I see. I see. Um, and that's the reason, and, and you have scraped just the edge mm -hmm. <laughs> of why so many people uh, self-published. They say, why in the world should I let somebody else publish it even though, okay, they, buy the, they, they do the ISBN number, they pay for the cover work, they, do, they, they cover the cost, the preliminary cost of getting things set up. Yeah. The artist, so nowadays with uh, people being able to publish their own stuff, they say, why would I even go with a publishing house mm. when I can do this myself? Okay, I'll tell you why I do. Number one, they have a name. Uh, they, they have built a name and they have dealt with me so beautifully. Hmm. Number two, I'm not a marketing guru. I'd rather take a beating than market stuff. I just, <laughs> I'm not good at it. I'm not good at marketing my own stuff. I'm not good at selling myself. Uh -huh. I love to talk about my stories, yeah. but you have to be able to market out the uh, wazoo. Um, if you want your stuff to sell, you just have to do it. And so 
there are things I have done, and I appeal to readers' clubs, book clubs, and I'll put in appearances at the library. Um, there are some things that I can do that don't require a great deal of time. However, having said that, when one spends one t one's time marketing one book, one struggles to find time to write the second. Mm, right, sure. So the publisher will offer uh, marketing services for a fee, um, so beyond what they're already taking uh, as their cut, um, which I'm fine for them to take, they will, they say, they will say, okay, we have this, you know, these, they do send, by the way, I, I do, I left this out, they do send an email that contains a whole pile of self-marketing strategies, websites, um, you know, that kind of thing. So if I wanted to, spend all of my time marketing my stuff, I could do so with their, you know, b basically with their information that they send me. Gotcha. And did they suggest you uh, uh, go on a podcast and talk about <laughs> They said, that's, that's interesting. They suggest that you do whatever you can find to do. Yeah. Um, at all. And that includes podcasts or if you can set up your own. There are now people who are doing their own, uh, authors, doing their own podcasts. And I've even heard of some who go uh, who have a podcast that they write a chapter, then they do a podcast where they read their chapter online. Oh, yeah. I don't recommend it because, <laughs> because well, it wouldn't work for me. Because in the process of writing my stuff, I have so many permutations of it. By the time I get to the end story, it would not even resemble how it started. Uh, so I wouldn't be able to do that at all. But, hey, whatever works. Whatever gets your name out there and gets you get some ex exposure. Of course, of course. Well, I should I should mention to our listeners that it was me who suggested you come on uh, because I, I, I really did. I, I, I very much enjoyed An Arm and a Leg, and it was fun uh, to see Jilly come out in May, and, and I enjoyed that book as well. So uh, you said um, that uh, you, you, know, you don't like to market yourself, but, but you do like to talk about your stories. So let's talk about your stories. Yes. All right. I'd like to hear okay. about Jilly herself. Uh, she's a fascinating little girl who is extremely industrious, extremely self-possessed, wise, uh, and, and does an incredible job surviving on her own. Yes. Yes. Uh, Jilly is basically, I would have to say, an amalgamation of my sister and some other family members that I've known, female, who have um, struggled to survive. Uh, so, yeah that she, she is industrious for an 11-year-old. But if you, th as the saying goes, hard times breed hard people. Tough times breed tough people. Yes. My sister went through uh, some tough things as a kid growing up, and um, she has not only survived, but she's excelled. And uh, so Jilly is pretty much fashioned after her. Um, I'd say that's, again, an amalgamation, but in part um, her. Nice. It's a wonderful American type in, in fiction where you have a, a small child who is able to survive because, not just American, but uh, again, going to Dickens as well, uh, a, a child who is precocious, who is um, good, s survival oriented, who is intelligent, and and we can all kind of identify with, with a child like that, and, and we can all hope that if we were to get into a situation, even as adults, we would have half of the uh, the instinct <laughs> and the yeah. planning yeah. that that this child has. 
Yes, I, I think that's, that's well said. I'll, I'll add to that that there are times when Jilly questions her decisions. Uh, it's not like she automatically knows, okay, this is a direct path from here to my goal. Mm. Um, right. She questions and she doubles back a couple of times. Yeah. Sure. So I, that mean, I tried to make that realistic. Well, you know, and, and um, I've, we've talked, we start out by saying how dark <laughs> these books are, but I will say that there's an element of optimism in both of them. I mean, uh, Jilly herself is not, I mean, this, we're not talking about like, Requiem for a Dream Dark, or like Dancer <laughs> in the Dark Dark. We're talking right. about dark circumstances, but it, it brings out the best in, in some of the protagonists. Uh, and so there's definitely, there's definitely that. There's a, an element of hope, and there's, there's a lot of fun involved in it, too, because, I mean, they're page turners. They're, there's a lot of adventure involved. So as, uh, even though there's some dark things, like kidnapping and you know, decapitation and that sort of thing, but <laughs> there's the, the, the character... I mean, especially Jilly herself is is like gritty and can really get. And I love uh, the uh, Dix and uh, Lil, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, the 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 old women who are just as yep. tough as nails. Uh, yep. Fantastic stuff because it's again there's an element of hope in there and there's a lot of fun. They're really fun characters and the and and you know so to say it's dark is not necessarily <laughs> entirely fair. Well, it, uh, okay. Dix Good. and Lil in particular are. Uh, Especially Dick, she she seems to come alive as a result of her run-in with uh, with Jilly. Mm -hmm. You know, when we yes. get the sense of how even a child who is being going through terrifying circumstances can be an inspiration and and can be a way of of renewing oneself. Well, that's interesting because I, I will tell you, as as a old woman myself, I didn't start uh, writing until I was in my sixties and my uh, first book was published in my mid-60s. Um, so I can tell you that actually Dix and Lil are pretty much based on not only my mother, my, my father, uh, my sister, but other actually pioneer women, my grandmother, um, who I've known. Um, my mother used to sit on the back porch in Texas when I was about three with her pistol and shoot at clothespins on the clothesline and spin them around. Wow. Uh, from the porch, so so we had there. There is that history of everybody has to pull your own weight. Um, I've I've had people tell me. In fact, book three is is uh, nearing completion. Oh, I've wow. had people tell me you got to do a book of Dixon Lil. Uh, <laughs> yes. So so the next one is is basically Dixon Lil. Oh no, kidding! Oh, that's great news. I was going to ask you what was next, but that's uh, that's good to hear. Yep. The yes. uh, the you know it's it's not a surprise to hear that you were a Louis L'Amour fan because the, there's a tremendous influence of the Western in here. Uh, this is an adventure story as well as a thriller, and it happens in New Mexico, uh, out in the desert. And uh, and I, I it's it's inter it's sometimes been observed that that there are two types of American authors: the Western and the Eastern. And the Eastern <laughs> author author tends to be a little more claustrophobic in this focus of the work and the oh. western author author is really writes novels of the landscape and and the open world and uh do you think that there's any of that in you oh absolutely uh, without doubt in fact i will tell you this um one of my 
during, I, I've, I've worn so many different hats. I've, I've lived so many different lives. During one of my lives, um, I began reading Louis L'Amour, and I have said in one of my essays that Louis L'Amour basically saved my life. That's overstatement. <laughs> but he took me outside of what was happening in my life at that time and made it bearable. That had just as much an impact as anything else I can say in my life mm. that I thought, hey, if I can write something that somebody can get absorbed in and that they can step into a different world out of whatever, uh, you know, crap they're dealing with in their lives, if they're dealing with horrible stuff, just a little bit of escapism that's basically uh, would make it worth it. I, I like, I love writing, and you're right. There's so much fun in, in crafting a scene, especially I love fight scenes. <laughs> and I love crafting scenes where somebody's going to really do dirt to somebody else. That's a kick. <laughs> but but I, I believe that it's real life. We deal with people. We deal with crappy people. We just do. And nobody gets to be in their 60s without have some, having some dents and some dings and scars and scabs and all of the rest of it. Everybody's got a story. So I thought, hey, maybe I can write something that people can actually enjoy reading that they can step aside out of that stuff and, and lose themselves for a bit. So that, that's been a big motivator for me. I love it. That's fantastic. Beautiful. Well, this has been a really, really fun conversation, uh, but I think it's getting time for our speed round here. Okay, the lightning cool. round. The lightning round. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. Okay, here we go. First question, when do you remember first falling in love with a book? Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island. Uh -huh. when I was I was about 10. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot yep. of sense when I read your, your work. It's, I, that's, that's a perfect answer. What do you love about that book? Uh, I love that I didn't know if the kid, Jim, was going to uh, escape, if he was going to survive, and, and I was terrified of the, of the old pirate that was, I just didn't know what was going to happen. I was afraid that he was going to get buried alive. I mean, who <laughs> knew what was going to happen? It was perfect. How, how old were you? I was about 10 or 11. Okay, okay. Fantastic. Okay, has a book ever changed your mind about anything? I wouldn't say totally changed my mind. I would say that I have read things that have informed my opinions. Um, I, t I don't tend to read um, nonfiction. Okay. I like escapism. I like fluff. <laughs> uh, other than other than romance, I don't. I, I will not read another romance. I read three; they all were exactly the same, uh -huh. just different names. Uh, but other than that, having romance. <laughs> but, <laughs> but hey, nothing against romance authors. They, they you know, they, there's a place in the world for all of us. But uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's pretty much where that is. Okay, has a book ever changed your life? I think. Other than, of course, I, I was raised in a very strict conservative religious background. So the first book I'm familiar with is the Bible. Uh, it's got all kinds of, uh, you know, there's greed, there's, there's death and murder and, and um, yeah, speaking all of dark kinds books. of <laughs> dark stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff as well as some pretty raw sex in the Psalm, uh, book, the Song of Solomon. But uh, so that probably had as big, or if not the biggest impact on me. But I will say this. Um, I read a book by Corey Ten Boom. It's called The Hiding Place. It's one of the few times I've ever actually read nonfiction. Hmm. And it is a, uh, an accounting, a recounting of the experiences of this family who um, helped to hide Jews 
during the Holocaust, and they themselves then were arrested and sent to concentration camp. She and her sister Betsy wound up in the same concentration camp. She survived. Her sister Betsy did not. That is the only book I have ever read that had me sobbing. I had to talk myself down off of an emotional ledge after reading that. Wow. There is, of course, hope in that, too, which is, was, was the salvation for me. But it was a very, very hard thing to read. Gotcha. So, yes, yeah, so, so a book has made you cry then. Absolutely. Um, fantastic uh, answer there. Um, okay, so name a book that you've read more than once. You know what? I haven't. I don't have one Is other than right? uh, I, I'm, I'm one of these people. I, I don't know. I almost feel apologetic. I'm <laughs> one of these people that once I've read a book, I know what happens. Why do I want to read it again? Interesting. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I can't I can't read a book more than once and I can't watch a movie more than once. Well, surely uh, you've read the Bible more than once. Uh, actually, pro- I've read parts of it more than once. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, OK, then I lied. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we okay. like to catch our guests That's in right. a lie on the P- <laughs> Persistence Edition podcast. Uh, fantastic. Uh, okay, and here comes the million-dollar question for you, Olive. Uh, All right. Do you have any poetry committed to memory? The only bit of poetry that I have found myself uh, in love with enough to commit to memory would be Emily Dickinson's uh, the Hope is a Thing with Feathers. Okay. Uh, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the song without the tune and never stops at all. Um, that spoke to me. So yeah. Beautiful. Fantastic. We finally got one. We got one. <laughs> well, we've had we've had one or two we've before, and and yet it's uh it's a treat every single time, and particularly today. Oh, super. Well, Olive, this has been absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm so glad it worked out. Um, we. To our listeners, we tried once before with some uh, technical difficulties, but this has been a dream come true. So thank you oh, um, for, for coming back and trying again. Oh, I can't thank you enough for your invitation and for your kindness. My words, you guys have been just amazing. Well, we've been okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love the books, and, and we love talking to you. So uh, thanks again. Uh, LB, uh, you have a book coming out. Right? I do also have a book coming out. It's called The Goddamn Fool. And it is a, a novel, and it's coming out on the 21st of September. We're going to release it at Malvern Books right here in Austin, Texas, at 7 p.m. And everybody who's anybody is going to be there, so don't miss it, or you'll regret it for the rest of your natural life. It is called The Goddamn Fool. You'd be a goddamn fool not to be there on the 21st, Malvern Books in Austin, Texas. We have a, a, a website. It is pov-publishing.com. There you can read, uh, actually, an essay by Olive Bala. Uh, you can also read uh, comics, poetry, and you can listen to all of our past podcasts. All the links are there. And you can follow another link, which will take you to the Amazon um, purchase page for my book, which is called Why So Much. So Why So Much? Question mark by Lance Myers. Check it out. Follow the link. Buy the book. Love it. Yes. And we, I want to take a, a ch- opportunity to belatedly thank our intern, Union Brooks. Fantastic. Whom Hello, we have Union. Been getting a lot of very valuable assistance from, and we've neglected to mention on the show. Hi, Union. So, uh, do you have anything to say in your own defense, Union? Nope, I'm good. <laughs> He's deeply ashamed, and, and rightly so. We are, we are grateful to him, and we're grateful to you, ladies and gentlemen, our listening audience, and we're grateful to you, Olive Bala, for being our latest and greatest guest. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yes, of everybody course. read Jelly. Okay, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.